0: All right. Good to be back. Last week I uh, was at, in Waterloo preaching, uh, filling in. Uh, so thank special thanks to Sam for filling in uh, last week. Uh, so it's a, gr- a great blessing that uh, we have folks that can do that here just among us. Uh, but we're back into Revelation here. Uh, let me, I, w- I want to ask a couple questions at the beginning here and then we'll take a look at a few portraits of people. And then we'll take a look at John's visions. So it's actually going to take us a little bit before we get into the visions. Last, uh, two weeks ago, we did 14.1 to 14.13. Today we're going to do the visions from 14.14 14 all the way to 15.4. Uh, so it's going to take us a little bit to get to the visions, but uh, hopefully uh, you'll, you'll see where this is all going. But let, let me ask a question. Where do you think it is difficult to faithfully endure as a Christian? Like, where on earth... Do you think, man, that, that, is a, that would be a very hard place to live and faithfully endure as a Christian? Perhaps some of the places that first pop in your mind might be the, the sort of places you find on uh, what's known as the World Watch List. This is, this is a list that they study of, of the most severe places where Christians are persecuted. And, and that would be right. Because, you know, 340 million Christians today uh, live in places where there's severe persecution. That's roughly one in eight. So one in eight of our brothers and sisters are living in in places that are extremely dangerous. For example, number one on the the watch list is North Korea. The list says uh, this, and I quote, Being discovered as a Christian in North Korea is a death sentence. If you aren't killed instantly, you will be taken to a labor camp as a political criminal. Uh, These inhumane prisons have horrific conditions, and few believers make it out alive. And then it says everyone in your family will also share the same punishment. So you get spotted as a Christian. You're either killed immediately or you're taken to prison, as with the rest of your family. And most of you probably will never get out. Number two is Afghanistan where there's, they estimate a few hundred believers in the whole country. Uh, it says, if a Christian's family discovers that they have converted, their family or the, the, the clan or the tribe has to save its quote-unquote honor by disowning the believer or even killing them. Christians from a Muslim background can also be sectioned in a psychiatric hospital because leaving Islam is considered a sign of insanity. So it's actually, it's dangerous to be a Christian in Afghanistan, but it's even more dangerous if you were a Muslim and have converted to Christianity because now you're considered insane and they will lock you up in a psychiatric ward, maybe never to be seen again. Or we could talk about Somalia where uh, the same sort of thing happens and even sometimes a woman might be forcibly to marry someone else uh, in order to try to convert them back. There are places all over the world that are extremely physically dangerous that make it difficult to endure as a Christian, right? If, so if you ask the question, where is it difficult to endure as a Christian, uh, so some of those places would immediately pop in the head, uh, in our mind. And that's good. I mean, that's right. I mean, that's sort of obvious. It is, the threat is physical harm, and there are major choices to make. I mean, major choices that, that folks in, in North Korea face, like, do we, do we tell our four-year-old child that we worship Jesus? Because they might tell someone on the playground, and if they tell someone on the playground, we're all gone. Those are, those are hard decisions. But it, it is worth considering, well, what does it mean to endure as a Christian? Like, what is, what is the New Testament getting at when it even defines what a follower of Jesus is? Or in the book of, of, of Revelation, who are the saints of God? And what does it mean to conquer throughout the book that we've seen, if you've been with us? The idea of enduring as a Christian is this idea to increasingly be holistically transformed, believing what God says to be true, holding faith in him, and living it out, right? Right? And the idea to conquer is to live like that all the way to the end. And I would say, and I hope you would agree, there's not a safe place on earth where that is not difficult. Because we've been right in, we're right in this section, right in the middle of the book, from chapter 12, 1 to fifteen four. If you remember, it starts off with the, the, the dragon, the devil who is trying to destroy the woman. And we saw that the, the woman and her offspring is the church. And, and everything he does, he keeps getting thwarted. He tries to, t- uh, to destroy the, the Christ and he gets caught up into heaven. And then he goes off after t- to make war on the woman. Chapter 12 ends with that statement that, that the devil went off to make war on the offspring of the woman. He wants to kill the church. And so he's going to do it through these three agents. The first one we saw in chapter 13 was a beast. Beast number one, who kills, who kills some of the saints, he conquers them, he takes them captive. He also is very kind of outlandish and a tyrant, he's very hideous looking, he, and he slanders the church, he blasphemes the church. And then beast number two pops up, and the beast number two is very sly, looks like a lamb, soft, cuddly. And yet he speaks like a dragon, he deceives and he tries, to, he tries to trick the church into believing false things about God, false things about the world, to, to woo them away from God with other thoughts, just like Genesis chapter 3. And then we saw two weeks ago in 14.8 this Babylon, which later comes up in the cha- uh, chapter 17, the prostitute, the harlot who uses the world's system and the world's goods, the pleasures of the world, to try to woo the church in. Come, enjoy the world. You don't want to worship that stuffy old God of yours. you always got to say no to the fun stuff. Come on, just taste. Actually, you can have this and have God. Come on. And it doesn't take long to live on earth as a Christian with a view to endure to the end, to walk faithfully with him, to realize that there's no safe place on earth from that. Everywhere you go, you're tempted to reject God. And if, you're, if you don't feel it, it's probably because you already caved, right? There is lust which wages war against our soul. So I have that thought here. Let me, let me give a portrait of some people. I have a few people to run through. Uh, just see if you identify with any of these folks. There is Wendy. Wendy. Wendy has experienced a lot of wrong from other people. Just last week, she was just at the grocery store, you know, just getting some groceries, and her car was hit. The rear of your mirror was taken off, and the side was all scratched up and left a dent. And of course, the person's gone. You know, part of it is just a car, but it's just the hassle and the finances, the resources. It's just like That's not how she wanted to spend her money. That's just, it's just sort of frustrating, right, that somebody would do that and not, not have the courtesy to at least let them know that they did it and help pay for it. Meanwhile, last year, something similar happened. A few teenagers going through her neighborhood I uh, thought it would be funny to paintball and hit, hit some houses along the way. Of course, her big window in the front, pew, nice hole right in the window, and that cost money now the kids are just not intentionally going after her house it's just through the neighborhood and yet she's the one that has to pay the cost of that and meanwhile she's had a hard time sleeping this past week because uh, one of her friends uh, had confessed to some ways that uh, she had been lying to her for the for the last 2 years and she's incredibly hurt and it's just opened this wound that had been healing from the pain of her childhood where someone that she really trusted mistreated her again and again and again and she, her world is caving in. And in her mind, she just, it's this cry for justice is when in the world is, is justice finally going to be poured out on earth and why do I always just keep taking the, the short end of the stick and everybody just keeps, seems to keep getting away scot-free? Now maybe you feel like Wendy at times, like where is the justice in this world? Or there's Corey. Corey, we would describe as a coaster, not one that you set a cup on, but uh, you know, coasting down the down the road, just got cruise control on. The gospel really is not exciting to Corey. Uh, no, don't get me wrong. He, he does the church stuff. He shows up at services. He'll go to a small group and stuff like that. But, you, you know, you talk to Corey about politics, he will talk your ear off. Movies, he's seen at least half of them. He loves movies. Hobbies, they are worth his time and his money. Meanwhile, his, the scriptures sit on the shelf most of the week. And it comes off, usually, if he remembers it, to bring it to service. The gospel really has no depth in him. The question is whether or not Corey will even be here a few years from now. Because the world keeps getting more exciting to Corey. Maybe you feel like Corey in your life at times. I know I sure do. And then there's Brock. Brock, uh, he's experienced the brokenness of the world. When he thinks of the world, he he thinks, uh, one of the things he thinks a lot about is his own mental uh, shortcomings. Struggles with anxiety quite a bit. He's tried to grow a lot in it. But when that anxiety flares up, it is incredibly frustrating. He feels like he has nowhere to turn. He feels like nobody understands him. And then there's the physical limitations he has. There's just certain activities he can no longer do. Part of it's aging. Part of it's just like ailments that he has that run in, in his family. Some of it's there's certain foods he can't eat because otherwise it just makes his body worse. And so it's just, it's just frustrating that these limitations that are put on him because of this, this flesh that he has. And of course, the relationships. He's got some hard relationships. His marriage is not good comes home and there's, there's not a companionship that he longs for. And he just feels like they're, they're always at odds. And he starts to wonder sometimes, is, is it just better for me to go? It'd be better for her, probably better for the kids, everybody would be happier. It'd be easier for all of us, rather than follow Jesus' call to walk faithfully to the end, it'd be easier for me to exit. And that, it's starting to become more and more appealing. And maybe you feel something like Brock. Then there's Rebecca, who has areas of rebellion in her that you cannot touch. Again, now she does the church thing. She's, she's, she's here. She comes to most things, but there's certain things in her life that you are not allowed to touch. You are not allowed to talk about them. Her tongue is quite sharp. She's quick to slander and talk about other people. Sometimes it's her money, her use of money that's just selfish. Sometimes it's the the way she just has this stockpile of savings that she's using just for herself, no thought towards anybody else. And sometimes it's the fantasies that go on in her mind now those things you need to leave to herself because if you talk about them you quickly see the wall go up because jesus can have all of her most of her but there's certain parts that she just wants to enjoy then there's don don is is he's in a hard spell right now doubting god's goodness because he reads a passage like this, sees the wrath of God being poured out, and he struggles. He has loved ones who there in the scene, experiencing the wrath of God, and it nags at him. How could God be loving and yet pour out wrath? And recently, he had a very close friend die, who re- had rejected the Lord, and. He- He's questioning whether or not God could be good. And there's a church down the road who teaches that God loves everyone and God's God's going to redeem everyone. He knows there's things off about that, but it's becoming appealing. Now, two more. There's Samantha. Samantha is very gripped by the call or the, the experience of safety, comfort. And it's louder in her ear than the call of Jesus. See, Samantha, she's, she has this wrestling in her soul often. Because there's been clear times in her heart that she, she has wondered if Jesus is calling her and her family to become cross-cultural missionaries, to leave here and go somewhere. But she doesn't deal with that a lot because she, just, she, she looks at everything that she would have to leave. And the fears that would lie ahead. And what, what would it be like for the kids? And, and what about the medical situation over there? And all these things come and it's just, it's just safer here. And she so, can co- so quickly rationalize away that idea. Or other times she, she wonders, maybe we should downsize our home so we have less responsibility to put in the home and less money. And we can do other things and use, use our resources to serve other people. But then, of course, it's going to be more difficult, right? Things will be more tight, and she won't have a lot, as much freedom. And other times, she thinks, no, I should stay in my job, but I should, or stay at the company, but I should take a demotion so I have more, more time to serve other people We can be more hospitable and have people over the house. Of course, if I do that, then certain things are going to be a lot more difficult, and I don't know what it's going to look like in the future. So she often feels the the shepherds prod, but she so quickly swats it away because comfort and safety feel good. Maybe you feel like Samantha at times. And then there's Roger. Roger lives on the reputation roller coaster. He loves reputation. In fact, Roger has a pretty good reputation. He's an excellent employee, very smart. He's quite the athlete. He's even quite the artist in terms of vocals. He sings well. Recently, though, he's realized he's getting older and uh, some of those things don't work as well. He can't quite do the same thing on the field that he used to, so he's not the star of the team. Some other Younger folks have come in that just have really nice, booming voices, and he's kind of, he's not looked to as the same, to play the same part anymore. And, you know, when he's up here and and people are applauding him, life feels happy. He's significant. He's important. But when he feels like he's just like plan B, he feels so empty and wonders, like, what in the world is this even worth So, there's some characters. I hope that you found yourself in there somewhere. I'm all over the map in there. Now, the thing is, for all of these folks, following Jesus wholeheartedly, striving to walk faithfully with him, is very difficult. Things are constantly swimming, like flying at them to drive them away from following him. And what they all need, I think, in John's visions here, is he's trying to get us to see that we have to somehow get our sights off earth only and also be looking to the future. So what happens in, in chapter 13 with the beast, right, and, and this, all this, that the beasts are trying to destroy the church, that at the end of 13, you have this question in your mind as the reader saying, what's going to happen to the church? How is she going to be, remain faithful in this world? How is she going to make it? And John is going to answer that question, that the church will endure by keeping sights on the future. Sort of sort of like this. I have a friend who just got LASIK surgery on Friday, and uh, he's sitting among us. I won't tell you who it is. You can figure it out later. Anyhow, so I found out he was having LASIK. I had LASIK several years ago, and uh, I love it. We can do the commercial later. But after LASIK, you have these drops that you have to do for, I don't know, I can't remember how long it is. But there's one drop that just tastes Horrible! It kind of seeps down the canal, and you could taste it. But they're very important to do. You have to keep up with your drops, right? If you don't keep up with your drops, you could have issues down the road. So I don't know exactly what it'd be. Let's say dry, or like dry eyes, and you'd constantly suffer from dry eyes or, or, or whatnot. Now, I'm texting with this, this this friend of mine, and I said, "Hey, I know those drops are going to be bad, or something like that. These drops are going to taste bad, but you keep." The vision of having no contacts and no glasses before you and just enjoying that keep that before you and that will help you to to simply take those drops as bad as they are and it'll give you the energy energy to do it now i also could have included keep not only the good vision but also keep the dry the vision if you don't do your drops you're gonna have dry eyes forever dude like keep both of these before you a positive vision a negative vision and that will give you strength to endure the race, right? For the next two months. That's exactly what John is doing here. How is the church going to endure through the ages, be faithfully faithful to Christ, endure to the end? It's by keeping these visions of positive and negative. Last week we saw the first two, right? We saw the the, the tale of two people, the 144,000 who are singing before the Lamb of God, before the throne of God. They're worshiping him. They've kept themselves pure. And then we saw those marked with the beast. Who are are forced to drink the wrath of God. And John says, look at both of them. One should encourage you to endure. The other should encourage you to endure by, by a negative example, like to flee from uh, caving in and following the beast. And here we have three more to go through. So let's just go through the visions, and hopefully you'll see how it all then works together. Let's work through the visions We're from 14... Uh, to 15.4. The first vision goes from 14 to the end of the chapter. And it's actually two harvests. There's a positive vision and a negative vision in this, uh, in this one. Verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, seated on the, on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. So just pause there to get the vision, right? Because this is a vision. So, you, so John saw something. You're supposed to see something as well, right? So we have a new character being introduced. There's, first, there's this cloud. And on the cloud is one like a son of man. We saw that in chapter 1, who was Jesus the Christ, right? That was, so here we have Jesus on a cloud coming. He's got a crown on his head, a victorious crown, a kingly crown. It's golden, right? And he's got a sickle in his hand. Now you know what a sickle looks like, right? A little rod. I, I, I don't, it's probably not the real long one that you hold like that, but it's, a, it's probably... A, yay, handle or so, and it's got this really sharp curved knife, right, that you're going to, you basically grab uh, grains of wheat, grab them like that, and you, you grab them, and you bundle them up, and you're going to have all these bundles all over the field. right? So the harvest is, is ripe. It, it starts out green, the, the wheat, and it turns brown. You've probably driven past the field where it's just this huge field of brown wheat. It's ready to be harvested, and he's got the sickle on his hand. So he's coming, now he's ready to harvest. Verse 15, And another uh, another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, because the hour to reap has come. For the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, this, this, of course, I think goes back to the vision before with 144,000 who were, we were told were first fruits for the God, first fruits for the Lamb. They were the, part, the first part of the harvest being harvest, harvested for God himself. Uh, John doesn't spend a long time on this part of the vision. Uh, but, you know, even if you just try to picture this field totally, totally harvested, I'm not a farmer. Um, but I would imagine that would be very satisfying just looking from the farmer's perspective, to look out on the field, especially if you could maybe get up on a little higher higher point, you know, to look down on the field and see it harvested. Uh, when, when I was uh, down in Chicago, I worked on the the grounds crew uh, at, our, at our school. And uh, I, I did the painting of the soccer fields and stuff. I would cut the soccer field and then I'd, I'd stripe them. And I, I used to love going after I'd stripe the field. I'd go up on the, the gymnasium, up on the roof. We could I, we'd get up there, you know. Had special keys, and I'd stand up there and I'd look out on the, on this beautiful like line job I did. And every once in a while, I saw like, what was I doing there? But just it was great to look out on. It's just very satisfying. I look at that; it's beautiful. This is the harvest that the sun has planted and has been waiting for. And now the hour has come. Reap. Go get your harvest. This this is a glorious moment. Think of of, uh, Boaz in the book of Ruth, right? Celebrating at the threshing floor. He's got all the wheat. It's gathered. This is a joyful time. This is a, a festival time. This is a time of celebration. Of course, there's another harvest that happens that John wants to spend more time on. Verse 17. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Another angel came out from the altar, and the angel, the angel who had authority over the fire, we probably saw him in chapter 8, if you remember him taking fire and throwing it down to the earth. Uh, he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth, gathered the grape harvest of the earth and he threw it into the great, great wine press of the wrath of God we just pause there before you get to the next part of this scene um, the wine press if you've ever seen these ancient wine presses you, it would be like this pretty large circle and uh, you know the, the walls aren't super tall it's maybe a tall and they basically gather all the grapes they've harvested them they, they throw them all in this huge circle on cement, and then you, you basically you, you get a c- couple people out there, and you trample you trample the grapes, right? So you're jumping all over the grapes, and all the juice of the grapes is going to go down this little uh, hole, or it's just got an opening, and then it's going to go down into these vats where it's, the the wine is going to ferment, right? And there's other ways you you squeeze the rest of the juice out. So the picture is, you know, especially these folks that know this a uh, wine press is. Is that this angel now scoops up all the, these grapes, throws them in this uh, wine press, and is, is stomping all the grapes, right? To get all the wine. Now, it's, it's an you know, appealing vision so far. It's about to take a turn for us, though, because uh, then we see the great wine press of the wrath of God. Verse 20 and the wine press was trodden outside the city. The first time the cities come up, we'll see it again in chapter 20 or 21, or 21. And blood flowed from that wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Obviously, those numbers are worth uh, considering. Uh, horse's bridle, uh, the, you know, the bridle is the thing you put on on the, the, the head of the horse there. Uh, so it's roughly four to five feet where the from the ground to the, wherever the horse, horse's bridle starts. So about four to, four to five feet deep, right, of, of blood, for 1,600 stadia, which is about 180, 200 miles. So roughly from a little bit more from here to lacrosse. All right, so picture yourself here standing in the city. This would be the New Jerusalem. You're standing in the city. Wine press is right outside the city. Angel Comes and he gathers all the grapes, puts them in the harvest, and which is obviously clearly people because this is blood. Now the image kind of defines it. This is people stomping on them, and their blood goes from here to La Crosse in a circle. I mean, this is a horrifying vision, really. I mean, I, I don't even like this to look at like roadkill that's been sitting there for a couple days. Like you're talking four feet deep of just straight blood. This is horrifying. This is a vision someone like Corey, who's, who loves the coast, this is a vision he needs. Because if he's not careful, that beast is going to get him. If he's not careful, Babylon will suck him in, and he will be in that wine press. Rebecca who has these areas of rebellion that she thinks, you know, are safe, that she can do that, she needs a vision like this. Because she is not holistically being transformed. She thinks that Jesus can have most of her, but not all of her. And that's not the deal that the gospel makes. God wants all of us. And so this, a vision like this is meant to have a negative, good motivation that keeps us from veering off to say, No, 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 this is what happens. You cave to the world, and this is where it ends. Of course, it's a horrifying vision. If you do have loved ones or co-workers, and someone like Samantha, who loves her comfort, this is a vision for her. Right? That she keeps feeling the prod from the shepherd to spend her life in a different way. This is what she needs to see. But moving on to the next vision, uh, this one's really short, 15.1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, because with them the wrath of God is finished. And that's all John wants to say about this one so far. I think it's actually meant to be a little bit suspenseful, right? Because first it's like, "I saw a great and amazing sign. Seven angels with seven plagues. The wrath of God is finished with them." Now let me tell you something else. You know, it's like, "Tell us about the angels, man." But it's, it's meant to be suspenseful. He'll get to those. Those are coming. That's, that's going to be chapter uh, 15, 5 through chapter 16. But he moves right past that to verse 2 of chapter 15. Then I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. We've seen the sea of glass in chapter 4. right? Around the throne was the sea of glass. Like crystal, this is mingled with fire sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name. Standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. Now, if you turn back to chapter 13, verse 7. We read there that also, this is about the first beast, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Chapter 15, verse 2 says, Those who conquered the beast. So you have some were conquered and some were conquering, or maybe they're the same people. If you go back to chapter 12, that scene with the war that rose in heaven between Michael and his angels. Devil's thrown down. We keep being told he was thrown down to the earth, thrown down to the earth, thrown down to the earth. Look at verse uh, 11, or verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, because the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him. There again, they conquer the devil. How? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Not with spears, right? not physically. It's conquered because of the work of Christ on the cross and by faith in him and holding the testimony. And so the way the flow then goes is that though the people were conquered on earth in the vision, they died. Many of them died. They were taken captive. They were mistreated in the world. They could not, they could not buy or sell. They did not get to celebrate the, the, the world's goods. But they conquered because they believed. They held the testimony. They held the faith. And therefore they conquered. In chapter 15, it's those people, those who conquered, who are standing before the, the throne and they begin to sing, verse 3, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the Lamb. Now, you remember the Song of Moses. Uh, There's two songs of Moses that we see uh, in the Pentateuch. There's the one in Exodus 15, one in Deuteronomy 32, both very similar. Uh, They have this idea of triumph, victory. The one Exodus 15 happens directly after the scene of the crossing of the Red Sea. You remember what happens there, right? The, the people of Israel go through the Red Sea and the waters come on t- onto Pharaoh and uh, his horsemen and the chariots, right? And they're all destroyed. And then they stand on the other side of the Red Sea and they sing this song. It's a song of triumph to God who, is, who has brought victory. He's brought salvation through judgment. He's judged the wicked and brought salvation to his people. And this is the song of Moses, which is also the song of the Lamb. It's not two different songs here. You see, that historical moment that the people of Israel experienced was real, but it was pointing to the ultimate song that will be sung of those who experience the salvation of God. which God pours out judgment on the wicked. Yeah? And this is the way the song goes. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord. O O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways. O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, because your righteous acts have been revealed. Now, as I was Praying through that song last night, the phrase that keep, kept coming to my mind as I was praying through it and praying for us as we go through this passage, I was just asking, Lord, turn up the volume so we can hear it. There's so many distractions of the world. Help us to hear the music so that we can endure. Now, two weeks ago, I gave this illustration at the end of the sermon, and I said I was gonna use it for the next three weeks, um, or at least kind of keep it, keep it alive. Uh, of that woman, Florence Chadwick, you remember her? Who was is, who is going for this really long swim from the, uh, was it, Catalina Island to, to California. 20 plus miles, you remember it was very foggy. She's trying to make this, this swim that uh, no woman had completed. But it was very foggy. And she had been swimming for uh, over 15 hours at that point, if you remember the story. And uh, this really happened in 1952. Uh, 15 hours plus, she's swimming. And she's tired. She can't, she can't keep going. There's crashing waves. She doesn't even see the people that are in the boats alongside of her. And she just loses heart. And she just says, fine, just get me out. Just get me out. I'm done. I can't make it. And remember, when they got her out and they, they, she found out how far away she was. She was under a mile. And in the press conference, when they asked her about it, if you remember what she said, if I would have seen the shore... I could have made it said so she couldn't see it and as i thought about that and i thought about this song i thought man even if she couldn't see the shore cuz even if the fog was there but she could hear the music if she could just hear the people singing over there hear the festiv- festivities on the beach that would have been enough just to hear the song this is the song we have to hear. Keep hearing so that we, we have these visions before us that will help us to endure is this song. Right? This vision of singing before the, th- the throne. This is the song that all of God's people will sing. Great and amazing are your deeds. O oh Lord God, the Almighty, the, the all-powerful one. You are great. Your deeds are great. Everything you've done has been wonderful from, the, from creating all things to restoring all things. You created by the word of your power, you sustain all things by the word of your power, and you will bring all things to the final victory. Great and amazing are your deeds. Who can fathom them? If we were to recount them, we'd be here forever. Great and amazing are your deeds. O oh Lord God, the Almighty, the Eternal One. just, And true are your ways, O king of the nation. You are just. Everything you do is just. You are not evil. What I see on earth will one day be made right. Every crooked way will be made straight. Every wrong that we experience will be made right. Every sad thing will be made untrue. One day your justice will be poured out because you are the one who is just. Wayne needs to hear that, or Wendy it was. Wendy needs to hear that. Yes, it's hard. Yes, there's a lot of injustice here, but one day God will pour it out. Don needs to hear that. One day, not only is it hard right now to understand that God has wrath for the wicked, but one day we will sing of it. We will sing of God's justice. We will sing that God poured out judgment on the wicked and we will finally see rightly to say, no, God is good. God is good in that. God's glory is revealed in him bringing judgment on the wicked. O king of the nations, you rule over all nations. Just and true are your ways. True. Everything that you do is good and right and faithful. I don't see it now. But one day we will be able to look back and say, yep, yep. Even there, God was just and true. Yep, even there, God was faithful. Yep, right there, when I didn't even, I did not even see how God could be faithful, but right there it is. And we will sing of that forever to our great King, the King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? Because you alone are the Holy One. There is no one like you. And all nations will come, and they will worship you, People from every tribe and tongue and nation. And that's why, Samantha, you might be the lips to go get them and go tell them the gospel. Because one day you'll sing with people from every tribe and tongue. And they will worship you. Roger, you will not worship you in glory. Your reputation is not that great. God's reputation is great. All nations will come and worship God. God. Let yourself shrink and let God grow, increase, and let's worship him because his righteous deeds have been revealed. Everything God does is righteous. That's a song that we will sing forever and it will be glorious. And if you've ever had the opportunity to be in some sort of a building that the acoustics are good and you're kind of all packed in there and you're able to sing to our great God, if you can just pause as you read this the next time and say, just, God, let me hear it. Let let me hear it. Let me hear it loud as thunder, as mighty, mighty waters, and let those speakers pour through your soul. God, turn up the speakers so we can hear this great song that we might be able to fight against the flesh and against the lust of the world. And the reason why we know that that will be our song is not because we're great, but because the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood on our behalf to bring us back to God and to promise that he has an eternal home for us. To give us the Holy Spirit and power to get us to the end and as we saw in chapter 2 or chapter 3 that God will hold us to make it right that we can make it to the end. And So today as we partake of the Lord's Supper let us not only look forward to the great day but let us worship Christ who shed his blood and made it even possible for us to be hopeful in our future glory. So we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. The Lord's table is open for all who worship Jesus as the Christ. And as we always say, this is not about perfection, but about direction. If you're here and worship Jesus as the Christ, and you're walking and stumbling faith with Christ, repentant faith, then the table's open for you. If you're here this morning and you do not worship Jesus or have unrepented sin, in your life, then we encourage you not to partake of the elements. The scriptures say that it would be bad for your soul. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. How great is it that the Lord Jesus was broken on our behalf to bring us back to God, that we one day will sing this song. He is our hope because his body was broken. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, broke bread, giving thanks, broke the bread, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Though all of us deserve to be in that second harvest, that our blood would be uh, in the winepress. The only reason we are not, that is not our destiny, is because someone's blood was already poured out on our behalf. And to him we will sing forever. One day we will ask the question, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? You ask that question today, who will not fear? The answer is 90% of people won't fear. But one day, we'll look around at all of us. Sin will be no more. We will all fear God forever. And the battle will be over. And today we conquer because of faith in Christ, in his blood. The Lord Jesus, in the same way, took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Let us stand and pray together. God, we confess that there's so many things, so many things that drown out the music There's so much things in in our life that become like fog and we can't see the shore of glory. We can't hear the music. And we ask God in your mercy, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to allow us to hear the music more clearly today. Just let it come into our souls and give us strength to run the race, the pilgrimage you have before us. In Christ's name, amen.